In less than a week, Great Britain has had the eyes of the world firmly on it for two very unique reasons. The coronation of King Charles III was a glittering affair watched by millions around the world. And less than a week later, the focus shifted to the northwest as Liverpool hosted the Eurovision Song Contest in honour of last year's winner, Ukraine. And even if a major royal occasion or a spectacular music competition aren't your cup of Earl Grey, the pomp and pageantry that both offered has done wonders for Britain's image and ultimately its bank balance, with inbound tourism to the UK never stronger. Today on Talking Travel, we'll find out just how the old dart plans to maintain its place in the global spotlight and why Australian travellers can't get enough of Britain. Welcome to Talking Travel, your home for all the big stories, major interviews and a little bit of gossip from the world of travel with your hosts, John Underwood and Matt Lennon. Hello listeners, I'm Matt Lennon, digital editor of Travel Talk, Australia's favourite travel news magazine. And I'm John Underwood, managing editor of Travel Talk. Thanks for joining us on Talking Travel. Now John, I know you love a parade. I'm guessing you watched every minute of the coronation? Wouldn't have missed it, Matt. The costumes, the marching, the music, just like my normal Saturday night, really. Right, well, there's more questions there. But anyway, now all the bunting's come down. Britain stands to benefit massively from tourists wanting to tread in royal footsteps, millions of them. Spot on. Visit Britain is forecasting millions of pounds to be generated from tourists looking for their own UK adventure. Which brings me to today's guests. We're delighted to be joined by Maria Sykes, Visit Britain's Country Manager for Australia and New Zealand, and to discuss the best ways to get around the UK, Rail Online CEO James Dunn. Maria and James, welcome to Talking Travel. Thank you, Matt. Now, Maria, weather aside, the coronation was a resounding success and full of everything that the Brits do very, very well. You must be very excited about what the global TV coverage will do for tourism in the UK. Matt, the, the coronation was really a fantastic opportunity to, as you say, highlight what Britain does really well. You've got culture and heritage and those sort of once-in-a-lifetime experiences that really you can only have in Britain. Um, and obviously that global audience, which runs into hundreds of millions of people, um, is hugely helpful. And I think the key part of that is that it really shows Britain's hospitality. It shows its creativity and how warm and inclusive it is. It's warm welcome to the world. So certainly we think it will help to boost tourism to Britain in the months and years to come. And I'm sure, Maria, you watched every single frame of it, didn't you? I did. I was, I was very dutiful and I learned a great deal. I thought I knew what it would be, but of course we haven't had one in seven decades. So there were lots of surprises for us all. Um, the unsurprising part was the quality of the pomp and pageantry. That is one of Britain's strong cards. Uh, a great a, a moment that I loved particularly was when the, the newly uh, anointed king stopped and shared some words with the heads of other faiths. And I think that sort of illustrates my point about that sense of inclusivity that you, you get in a, in a modern Britain and that, that warm welcome. Well, speaking of um, Saturday, of uh, last Saturday night, um, 
John had a big one, but um, I'm sure it was two in a row because Eurovision followed a week later in Liverpool. And it's the first time it's been held in the UK for 25 years. Now, James, Liverpool's not the easiest of places to reach for Australians by air, but that's where Rail Online comes in. Uh, what sort of movement trends have you seen around the UK by Aussies of late? Well, it's actually been a, quite a strong trend. We've noticed over the years that people are travelling to Europe more frequently, but, but perhaps not going uh, as far out in terms of multiple countries. So they're going to the UK for one trip, Spain for the next. Uh, but in the UK, the, the travel trends have responded very well. So we're seeing very encouraging signs from our end. Um, and once you're though in Liverpool, you've got a fairly good rail network. Once you're up there, you've got Lime Street and Liverpool Central. And I was fortunate to be there last summer and I hadn't been to Liverpool before. And even though I am a Liverpool fan, I did the customary walk around Anfield. But what really struck me was the vibrancy of Liverpool. Um, it just really had an energy to it. Um, it was very pretty down around the harbour um, for sure. And a lot of the classical buildings there in the background were just really blew me away. So um, I'd certainly encourage people to head up to that region. There's a great event going on there at the moment with Eurovision, but it just seemed at any time of the year, it's a very vibrant city. You need to switch your allegiance, James. Leeds United are a much better side. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, the chap I play golf with now, is a I... diehard Leeds fan, so I'm always sympathetic to them. <laughs> now, we should say a big congratulations to you because um, Rail Online is only a year old, but it's really holding its own with the big boys when it comes to bookings. Um, from my extensive research, I see that trips from London make up nine of your top 12 most popular routes. It is. And the UK was the market that we launched first. And given that we were coming out of a COVID environment, we thought prudent to launch with the UK domestic market first, just while while borders were still gradually reopening. But um, we're building a lot of automation into the process. So booking rail is uh, not only convenient from a traveling standpoint, but the actual management of the booking in terms of refunds and exchanges uh, is a lot simpler. So uh, we're just about to launch our app into the UK in a big way. Uh, and we're really looking forward to getting some good feedback because apps evolve over time. Uh, you're constantly improving them, but we think what we've got as a first uh, launch is uh, quite competitive. Now, Maria, Australia is just smashing records all over the place in terms of overseas visitors. Since the pandemic, you know, we've become the UK's third most valuable international source market. Why do you think the Australian market has bounced back so strongly? You're quite right, Matt. It's been um, an extraordinary recovery and the pace of that trend is just accelerating. Between the first and the final quarter of 2022, Australians spent in the British visitor economy quadrupled. I mean, it really is an explosive return, if you like. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think uh, despite all the, the bravado and the sporting rivalry, I think we're great mates. And the connective tissue, the, the cultural tissue, the heritage, you know, the love, the sporting rivalry, the mateship is really, I think, unparalleled by any other two nations on earth. We might not admit it all the time, but, you know, secretly we kind of like each other. And, you know, clearly when you look at the census data on whatever, there are just huge heritage links, huge amounts of people. Um, we know we've got you in a bit of a pincer manoeuvre. And I think Aussies love to travel. They love to travel. And, you know, we know from the data that even though spend on other areas of life might be tightening, travel is still getting prioritised. Aussies want to reconnect with the world. They want to meet their loved ones. They want to see their old mates. 
And there's a great deal of talk about, you know, the VFR being a key segment, you know, visiting friends and relatives. And I think that's often mistaken as expats. It's much more than expats. It's much more than people here with, you know, a parent born in the UK. You know, you've all got a British mate, you know, whether you want one or not. You've all worked with a British mate in the office and you might want to go and visit him in Durham or Doncaster or Leeds, wherever he is. Um, so those records being broken don't surprise me and and I don't think it's going to slow down that. Well, the ashes um, are coming up quite soon, Maria, so there, <laughs> there could be some more records broken in the pubs. Well, yes, all sorts of things could get broken in the pubs. I'm not going to express any allegiance. I am, I am very strictly Australian when it comes to matters of sport um, for, for good interest. But look, uh, that sporting rivalry, we all love it. And I'm hoping that we're going to get some nice banter going on there and may the best team win. They will. Not, I'm not sure the Barmy Army would agree with you on that one, Maria, when it comes to the cricket. But anyway, um, you were saying that the the... It's the sort of incoming is, is accelerating from Australia. I'll put my mm -hmm. teeth back in on it. Um, I'm interested to know, you say we're number three now. So is there any chance we can overtake number two? And who is number two and number one? Who are we competing against? Um, well, I love the ambition in that. Look, the number... Number one, the US, always the US. Um, number two, Germany. And France are hot on our heels. Um, this is data that relates to Q3 of 22. So I, I must contextualize this. And while I would love to think we will remain third forever, I think, you know, this is a moving feast as we emerge from, from a pandemic. Um, what I'm pretty confident to say is Australia has been for a very long time, and I'd be surprised if this changed, a top five most valuable market to Britain. Uh, and it's pretty extraordinary. We're a very long way away. Right now, you need two flights to get there, um, and there are 25 million of us. So the fact that we punch above our weight in this way is already exceptional, whether we're third place or fifth place. You know, when we get there, we stay almost twice as long, we spend almost twice as much, and we get out and about. We don't just stay in the honeypots in London, all of which are glorious, but we really explore. We're far more likely to hire a car or jump on a train and get into those lesser-known places. So, um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very ambitious for Australia, and I, I think it's going to be a very long time before we leave the top five. Well, a few years ago, I remember, Maria, um, this is before the pandemic, but Australia did actually surpass Germany in one uh, metric. We passed Germany in terms of patronage on Cunard. You know, a very British cruise line. Yes. So, uh, you know, we clearly love all things British. Uh, you mentioned rail as well, and this is an area that's, um, you know, a bit problematic at the moment because, uh, you know, for nearly a year now they've been on and off strikes, and this is where uh, I, can, uh, I can ask you both uh, this question, actually. Um, I was in the UK in uh, this past Christmas, and getting around was not easy with the strikes being particularly bad at that time. Um, do either of you expect these ongoing strikes? There doesn't appear to be an end in sight. Do you expect this to hamper how long travellers spend in the UK or how much they move about beyond London? Well, I'll jump in on that one first. Uh, thank you. Um, 
Just as an observation, I think the worst of the strikes are probably over. There are some actions, I think, announced for later this month. But what we've noticed that a lot of notice is given in advance of the strike. So you do know what services are going to be affected. So when I was there in the month of March, for example, we had a meeting set for Bristol and a few of our colleagues couldn't make it. So we were easily able to move it to a remote session, but they knew well in advance. So there was no last minute disruption, which is always the most regrettable uh, when someone isn't able to plan around it. But at least I think we're over the worst of it. Um, the communication is good when there is industrial action. It's always regrettable, uh, but we are able to manage it. I don't think from our side it would diminish anyone's length of time spent in the UK. Do you think it might impact people moving into Scotland or Wales, Maria? Um, I don't think we've got any data to suggest that's that's the case, Matt. And at the risk of um, damaging James's business, one of the strong cards of, of Britain is the multiple transport options. And I think James is quite right when he talks about communication being key. And that advance warning is key because there are alternatives. So um, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that it has um, had any impact, material impact on outbound traffic in Australia or what people choose to do when they get there. They've invested. They love the destination. Um, they're getting four for the price of one. Um, you know, if you like, there are and Aussies who are pretty distance resilient, let's face it, um, consider the offer of Ireland, Scotland, Wales and England to be that, you know, wonderful four for the price of one within, you know, a hop, skip and a jump for your, for your, for your hardy Aussie. And so I think the notice period, to James's point, has, is really a very key factor. And there are, there are other alternatives, but no, no one's going to dress up the, the enormous disruption that comes from industrial action. And it happens in many countries, unfortunately, uh, and particularly post-pandemic with cost of living pressures. It's something that we all experience from time to time. Yes, well, let's hope they, they get their act together and nothing too bad happens. James, a quick question for you. Um, why exactly is rail travel enjoying such a boom at the moment? Is it because uh, it's so easy to get on and off? I mean, is it the sort of transport lanes? It's kind of all of the above, John. The uh, the rapid expansion of e-ticketing has been great and well time for our business, but it's more just a general awareness that once people actually use rail for the first time from Australia, which is typically not a, a strong rail nation, they don't go back. But also you're starting to see some legislation in Europe now where they're actually moving more people onto uh, train services with legislation that prohibits in France, for example, um, flights within two hours where there is a high-speed rail connection. So we think that will trend will gradually spread throughout Europe. Uh, and they've set an ambitious goal to double the rate of high-speed rail by 2030 off a very high base, and that's one very effective way of doing it. Now, we've got Project Sunrise coming up in a couple of um, years. Now, flight bookings to the UK are just through the roof. And, um, you know, we expect Project Sunrise with direct flights from Sydney and Melbourne straight to London to, you know, be hugely popular, even if it is 20 hours in the air. Now, the, the, the current price of airfares, it doesn't seem to be deterring anybody from visiting Britain, does it, Maria? Well, I'm delighted to say that's absolutely that's absolutely right, Matt. And uh, I have to say, there, there could be few people more excited about Project Sunrise than me. I, I personally can't wait. I'm going to be one of the early birds lining up for it. And when you look at Qantas's data for that single direct flight out of Perth, I think there's cause for great optimism that that will be embraced. I think Australians, by and large, do want to get to their destination. You know, when, when we've seen um, focuses on people prolonging hubs for stopovers and whatever, they, they're, they're not maybe as successful as you would think. People want to get there. And I think this direct op option where you can leave Australia 
and arrive in the UK without um, transiting through a third-party destination is going to be really um, a game-changer. And yes, it's a long time in the air, um, but people, I think, will really embrace that direct opportunity. So um, I think it's a really exciting prospect for inbound numbers. And um, it, it's the last uh, vanguard, isn't it? It's the last aviation vanguard to uh, to overcome. And then we, we've done it. Um, so roll on Project Sunrise, I say. Indeed. And removing that temptation for a stopover somewhere, you know, probably means that Aussies will stay longer in the UK and spend even more. And James, probably move around uh, the UK even more. You never know. You might get all 12 uh, top routes being yours or being from London rather. Definitely, that's possible. And as an ex-airline person myself, uh, it is really that last uh, hurdle that's been reached with this um, these new flights uh, because just to be able to go non-stop from Sydney to London will be and Melbourne to London will be fantastic. And I think it will drive a lot of uh, business in terms of um, the executive market and the ability to get to the destination quicker. Uh, I think it will really open up a lot of opportunities in the business circles as well. Um, Maria, just one for you. We started talking uh, about the coronation at the top of the podcast. Um, have there been any predictions or made about how many overseas uh, visitors that might that event may actually bring in and, and what kind of spend you're, you're hoping to see maybe next year? Um, John, we know that those large-scale celebrations really provide a, a very material boost for the uh, visitor economy and hospitality industries based on previous royal occasions. We don't have specific data that puts a, that quantifies what the impact is going to be from this one. Um, but, you know, to, to give you an idea, we, what we do know from data is that um, the opportunity to explore history and heritage is, you know, and that combination of the best of the old, the best of the new um, is a really key one for Australians. So when I'm looking at data from other um, royal events, uh, let's think of Windsor Great Park, for example. It was the most visited attraction in the UK last year. Obviously, we know there were very significant events in royal history last year, and there were over five and a half million visits as a result. So um, it's it's these numbers are significant. So I think while I can't put a number on it, I'd be very confident to say there's going to be a very significant uplift from these events. And James, Round One One has literally in the last you know, few days just launched in the UK. How do you expect that to you know improve your business? We think it'll be, uh, it's a very important step for the business because the UK domestic market is uh, quite the, the beast in terms of market size. Uh, but we're really looking forward to it because we just think there needs to be other players in the market. You've got each of the rail operators um, themselves and uh, existing players like Trainline, but we think we've brought a very good model to the market with no booking fees, so we're making it more price attractive for people to go and book on a train. And now that things are largely e-ticketable now, it just makes the distribution a lot easier and more cost-effective when you can actually just have a ticket sitting on your phone uh, when you want to go and travel. Um, and as uh, Maria said, there is just so many different areas and regions to explore. Um, sometimes there isn't enough time in the UK. You've got to go back again to see things that you didn't get to see the first time. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up there, guys. I really appreciate talking to both of you today. Uh, we have one last question, which uh, is a bit of a tradition now for Talking Travel. We ask uh, each of our guests uh, where they're looking forward to traveling this year, wherever, whether it's the UK or somewhere else. Where are you guys heading this year? I'm actually heading off to the UK next Friday, um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's the last time of the year to be there, but um, 
I was fortunate to get to the west coast of Scotland recently, and you cannot take a bad photograph in that place. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back there as well. Uh, you've got some wonderful historic train stations in places like Glenfinnan, and once you're there, it's just magical. So I'm really looking forward to that. Did you wear a kilt? No, I left that at home, John. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Maria, carry on. Um, well, I might I might wear a cult because I'm hoping to catch the Edinburgh Festival if uh, if the wind is behind me and if I can experience some of Leeds' year of culture, I'd love that too. But um, so to be predictable, of course, I'm heading back to the UK later this year. Uh, I I had my wedding just a couple of months ago, and it was supposed originally I was a we were COVID casualties with our wedding, and it was supposed to happen um, at Burley House which was next door to my school um, and where I grew up in England, in Stamford in Lincolnshire. And it's one of those real hidden gems, Stamford, thousand plus year old town full of pubs and churches and Burley House, stags resplendent everywhere. It's just glorious. It's just quintessential England. So we're going to go and experience Burley House and pretend that we got married there rather than our own lounge room. That's my that's my plan for the year, Matt. Well, I'm sure it'll be. A, you got married in your lounge room. Goodness me. Yes. Well, I'm sure it'll be a, gra- a grand affair, similar to the coronation. Well, our lounge room was very much like Burley House, as you can imagine. But um, the real the real deal will be something to look forward to. Ah, oh, lovely. Well, on that note, um, and to use a bit of a rail pun, this is the end of the line for this episode. So. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, Maria and James, I'll wrap it up there. And I uh, thanks for joining us on Talking Travel, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Talking Travel. Until next time, travel well, travel safe, but most importantly, travel now. <laughs>